this is going to be pushed out as a podcast. So here in the next uh, hour of the International Podcast Day live global streaming event, um, this is also going to be pushed out as a speaker live show, episode 29 for September 30th. And as you can tell on my my uh, my window here, I'm uh, Rob Greenley. I'm the head of content at Spreaker, and we're the proud sponsors of the International Podcast Day, and we're we're really happy to be participating in this event. Uh, I've got some guests that uh, are going to be calling into the uh, show here in a second. Uh, we've got the CEO of Spreaker that's calling in right now, and his name, his name is Francesco Bascheri, and I think he's calling us from New York, right? Hello, Rob. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Hear me well? Yeah, I can. I, yeah. I can hear. I don't know if you can turn your mic up a little bit more. I don't know if there's a way of doing that, but um, it'd be great to. Yeah, I'm traveling and I'm in Brooklyn today, so I'm just not using my studio equipment. Let me see if I can make this slightly okay. better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounded better already. That's great. How does it sound? Yeah, I think it sounds better. Definitely, definitely. Okay. So we've got. Um, Three guests that are set to be on here, um, here over the course of the hour. I've got uh, Dave Slusher, who does the Evil Chronicles podcast. He's actually one of the earliest podcasts, uh, a real pioneer in the area of kind of, kind of solo casting. So he's going to join us. And then Paul Rismondel, who's the evangelist for Midroll Media, is going to call in and, and give his thoughts on kind of radio and kind of where podcasting is is going to move in that direction. But I, I wanted to make a shout out to the the sponsors of the International Podcast Day. You know, we want to thank the platinum sponsor, Podcasters Paradise, um, and the gold sponsors, the Appendipity folks and Spreaker, and the silver sponsors, Simple um, Podcast Press, uh, Ringer, and Scatter Radio. And uh, without the support of those folks, International Podcast Day, I guess, would not be possible. So, so find all all their information and special discount codes for those sponsors at the the website, theinternationalpodcastday.com slash supporters link there. So, I actually um, started a podcast uh, myself back in September of 2004. So, I I believe that that's the reason why. Uh, September was picked as International Podcast Day because I, I, I believe um, that's when podcasting kind of officially started. So it's almost like a birthday for podcasting. So it's uh, it seems appropriate to be doing this in in September. So I, I actually I, I started doing my show in on uh, September sixteenth of two thousand four, and it, it was really a um, kind of a hype hype time back then. It was really kind of crazy the all of the attention that podcasting got. Um, but it was really exciting at the time. Uh, there was a picture on uh, Wired Magazine or uh, on the cover of Wired Magazine of a bullet going through a radio that was sitting on uh, like a counter. And that, that, was, that was really kind of symbolic of what, what happened in the podcasting uh, space right back in 2004 and 2005. There was a lot of anticipation for what podcasting could do. Um, there was a lot of speculation that it was going to um, run radio out of business, um, like you know, tomorrow. Um, that that never actually happened, but uh, but it was a it made for a great story um, in a lot of the, the the newspapers and and magazines at the time. So, so I, you know, since I'm also making this a kind of a podcast on Spreaker, I wanted to put it out there too that if if you're a Spreaker user, you you, you can certainly send comments or questions to me. Uh, um, to Rob at Spreaker.com. And, um, and I do expect, you know, um, 
I'm open to getting audio comments and you know show promos. So if you have a show that you would want to promote on the Speaker Live Show, that would be fantastic. That that Speaker Live Show airs every um, Wednesday from 3 p.m. Uh, Pacific and 6 p.m. Eastern at SpeakerLiveShow.com. So so anyway, um, Francesco, thank you so much for calling in to the show. I know you spend a lot of time in Europe. That, that that's where you live. Um, and but you happen to be in the United States over the last couple of weeks. So how's been your trip to the U.S.? Francesco, are you there? <laughs> I think he's frozen. Hopefully, Francesco will get some bandwidth here. But uh, but I, yeah, I wanted to talk to him about his trip to to the U.S. He actually uh, lives in um, Venice. Uh, in Europe, and so he's he, he travels quite often to um, to the U.S. and and hopefully uh, we will get him back in here in a second after he gets some bandwidth. Um, but uh, I'll try and fly solo here. Um, I'm not really a solo caster. Actually, our our guest that's coming up, Dave Slusher, uh, is a solo caster. You know, with Evil uh, Chronicles podcast. And so it'd be real interesting talking to him about what it's like to, uh, to do a solo cast. Um, but, uh, it looks like we're having our time with Francesco coming back in here. So we will do the best that we can. Um, why don't I run through really quick kind of uh, a little bit about what uh, Spreaker is all about. Uh, Spreaker is basically a podcast hosting platform that started back in 2010. Uh, and it, uh, it does a great job of, of, of kind of combining podcasting tools with um, live streaming. So you can actually do a, a podcast, uh, which is kind of like what I'm doing right now. I'm, I'm recording this on a, pot, a portable audio player that then I will publish into uh, a, a live stream uh, at 3 p.m. Pacific time, actually later today, uh, as a re-airing of this uh, show on, on that. And that will automatically get published into the, the RSS feed. Um, that is in iTunes and Stitcher and all sorts of places. So the ability to to do a live show like this and publish it directly into your podcast feed um, is possible with uh, Spreaker, and you you can also do that through our our iOS app, our our Android app, and soon. And I was hoping to get Francesco to talk about this. Is is uh, we're we're going to make that available on the the Windows and Mac desktop so you'll be able to uh, do some really really cool stuff so so francesco are you back with us yeah i'm back i'm sorry i lost most of you that's okay that's okay so you're you've spent the last week and a half in in the u.s with with meetings for for spreaker so how has your trip been to the to the u.s i know you've been really focused on trying to build momentum around the podcasting space here in the, the in the u.s so how's that mm-hmm. how's that going for you it's been exciting i mean the the i think the core or the main uh, event for which I came to the U.S. this time was the uh, Podcasting Business and uh, Tech Summit back in San Francisco. Uh, it was a great event. There were a lot of uh, people from the public radio environment, a few guys from uh, tech companies like we like we are, uh, and also a few of the, of the guys that are actually uh, helping podcasters pay their bills, uh, namely the advertising agencies. Uh, and everyone was brainstorming on how to make podcasting bigger and uh, make basically more money flow into this market. So some interesting ideas came out of this. Uh, and of course, it's very good that all the players in this industry at the stage are working together to grow the pie bigger instead of 
basically competing one against the other. Uh, so that was, that was uh, I have to say, very positive. Can tell much about what actually was said in the event because there is a lot of uh, stuff that needs to be uh, under a non-disclosure. But uh, I would be glad to give my general overview of what's going on in the space. And apart from that, yeah, I've been seeing a lot of vendors and uh, enthusiasts and people involved in podcasting and trying to get our platform and podcasting itself to be noticed uh, by even more people than uh, we can reach today. Yeah, I mean, I just got back from a uh, from a conference in Atlanta, the the Rain Summit, uh, which is a conference that happens normally associated with the National Association of Broadcasters events, and it really focuses on online radio. Um, you know, the the Pandoras and and um, the the music streaming services, and and really kind of the the radio side of online, uh, the the streaming of radio stations, the 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 online radio stations too, not just broadcast radio stations. So there's a lot of them at the rain summit. The, the lead off panel was a panel on podcasting is the new black. And it had uh, folks from uh, panoply on there and folks PRX and, and a lot of the, the longtime players and, and some of the, the new entrants to the podcast space. So there's, there's a lot of new companies that are getting involved in podcasting today. Uh, and it's really exciting, and, and you're kind of, you know, you've been down in San Francisco, and then now you're back in New York, and I know it was Ad Week back there, uh, and there's a lot of excitement around podcasting back there. There's a bunch of panels and podcasting companies speaking about that. I mean, did you get a chance to to check any of that stuff out back there no, this week? Not at the event. I had a few meetings with uh, people that participated uh-huh. at the event due to the arrangements of my trip, I, I wasn't able to actually catch the yeah. whole day, which was Monday, dedicated to podcasting at the Ad Week, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, but I got to speak to a few of the guys that were there. Uh, it's the same old story. I mean, everyone uh, understands that there's a lot of potential, unexpressed potential for today. And the market in which we're in is potentially big. I mean, it's not, uh, you started the same Back in the day, people were saying, okay, this is the bullet that's going to kill radio. It's probably not like that, but a lot of people understand that a lot of money that is currently uh, being pumped into terrestrial radio will eventually uh, get into digital and specifically on-demand spoken word content. Uh, We just need to figure out how and what's the process to to get there. Uh, The content is there. Uh, some, some people think it's a, it's a matter of content, uh, and uh, I, I certainly agree to some to some extent because uh, I think that some people say that you know that a few years back when you wanted to watch a movie or a home movie, uh, in order to be able to watch it, you had to buy a VCR first, learn how to connect it to your TV set, figure that out, and at, at that point you were able to watch the movie. And this didn't stop us from growing the market. Uh, some other people, and I actually more inclined in, into this, also think that it's a matter of convenience uh, because there's already a lot of content. We certainly have a problem with discovery uh, in the podcasting space, but I think the biggest problem today is the ease of access to podcast. When uh, it becomes as easy as uh, pushing a button or turning a dial and, and exactly consume the kind of content that you want to, then it's when... Uh, also, the, the money from the advertisers is going to flow into this market. So, yeah, this, these are the discussions that are uh, 
going on at the moment? How do we make it simpler to consume? How do we make it easier for um, the audience to discover content that uh, is of interest for them? Uh, a lot of questions, a lot of answers, of course. Uh, many of, the, of these answers will uh, prove to be wrong in time, but it's good that everybody's experimenting uh, with something new. And, uh, I mean, it's, a, it's an exciting space to be in at this time. Yeah, I think it's it's really been interesting. You know, I've been been hanging out with a bunch of um, online radio folks and and a lot of the content creators in the in, in the radio space and coming from the radio space. And they, I mean, a, a, a growing number of those folks are getting optimistic about how the the radio stations and the radio folks need to be creating original programming. You know, I know a lot of the radio industry has just been looking at podcasting as a as a um, just a redistribution of existing programming, but it 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 really genuinely feels like they're starting to get it. They're starting to understand uh, what it takes for this, and and also the the, the ability that uh, radio has to cross promote uh, and and get the word out about podcasting in general. I think one of the top two things that podcasting has in front of it is number one, ease of use, ease of access as well as um, just growing the number of listeners um, that are using the actual medium. And one of the great ways of doing that is reaching the, was it the current um, 280 million people that currently listen to radio today, just in the U.S. Um, so, you know, I think it's, there's a big future for combining these two things together. For, for a few months there, I was a little bit sketchy on the combination of radio and podcasting, but it almost felt like there was two different worlds. Um, but it, but it really starting to feel like the, the, there's a huge co- combined opportunity there. I don't know, Francesco, do you see that too? Uh, I think I have the advantage uh, of coming from a non-English speaking country, so I, I don't put a clear tag or label uh, on the word podcasting as probably many of you guys that are from the US or the UK do. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, podcasting is just a synonym of on-demand. It's a synonym of the Yep. channel with which content is consumed. To many people, uh, podcasting podcasting also means the content, right? And it means something different to different people. This is what I find extremely funny. So there's a whole bunch of individuals and a whole uh, crew of people that think that podcasting is a synonym of independent productions. Uh, yeah. Of course, the uh, whole um, radio, public radio guys that I met the other day they think that podcasting is uh, specifically a, a, a name a targeted to work towards what they exclusively do. Uh, the radio guys don't want to use the word podcasting. They, they hate it so much because it means uh, it, it's not specific to them. And they keep calling the stuff on demand. And they just, they're just surrendering now to keep, start keeping this thing, uh, calling it podcasting because it, it's so fashionable. Uh, but, yeah. gee, there's, uh, I mean, even the public radio guy, if they could, uh, they would change the name uh, from podcasting to something else. Uh, I, I don't think it's a burden uh, because I, yeah. I didn't find it funny. But I remember there was this woman from uh, BuzzFeed at the conference. And she said that, uh, of course, all her uh, workmates uh, make fun of her because she's, of course, the, old, the uh, eldest in the room dealing with this thing called podcasting, which is such a funny name. Uh, I don't. I don't get the joke, uh, but I just think that as a media, it's much more powerful than radio. It's uh, niche content, which means 
It's perfectly tailored to my needs. It doesn't have uh, constraints in terms of length or format. I mean, I, I get to listen to whatever I want, and I, I find a lot of stuff that uh, it's really what I want to listen to. Uh, I think the only problem today is just discovery and, and ease of access. And we're getting yeah. there. And in, in terms of cooperation with radio and independence and public radio, uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun because, I mean, on the, the big established broadcasters uh, are getting scared. Uh, I, I feel like this, mm-hmm. not the biggest one, but the, the medium one. We, we get a lot of meetings with these guys today, and we get asked, uh, how can you guys help us in transitioning from pure uh, linear broadcasting to on-demand? Because they want to be part of this, of this and they feel scared that uh, finally something is changing there traditional business model. No, yeah, I mean, and the whole name podcasting has been uh, been a point of debate for years, you know. Um, even a big-time uh, radio guy, Leo Laporte, has been saying that he wanted the name to be Netcast, hey, you know, right, so... Yeah. You know, and he still puts it out. I mean, if you look at every single video or podcast that he puts out, right at the beginning of every one of those shows, he says, listen to my netcast. He doesn't say podcast. Leo doesn't like the term podcast. He, he's never liked it. And actually, that's kind of a little bit of a hidden secret, or not so hidden secret in some ways. But even even the early podcasters, and I know one of the things we wanted to talk about on this show, and, and I guess it's coming up, we're going to talk a lot about this, but a lot of the early podcasters never liked the name anyway from the beginning. And I think what a lot of people just felt is, is that we we inherited this name, and it's gotten traction over the years, and and it got in the dictionary at one point. Uh, it's in the English dictionary. It is. Um, yeah, and and it's like, you know, it's a. I mean, it is a funny name. It, it it's a funny word, but in some ways, it creates a unique um, pointer to what this revolution is kind of all about. You know, I mean, if we. I mean, on demand, I hate to say, but it's boring. You know? Yeah, it's boring. And who cares if yeah. the iPod is dead? I mean, frankly speaking, who cares about the name? Uh, it's, uh, it's taken on, uh, and I think we, we should spend our time debating on something else. Uh, there are so many other problems and issues that need to be addressed, and, and I don't think the name is one of these. Yeah, no, I mean, it's certainly not not very important. But I w- w- wanted to also ask you, because I'm sure a lot of people that are, l- are watching this or listening to this um, don't really understand what the history of Spreaker is and how long Spreaker's been around. I know, I mean, it's it's been over the last six, eight months that there's been a really um, serious effort to get the word out about Spreaker. But um, give us a little history on how Spreaker got started. Sure. So we've been around for five years. Uh, we started with the idea that uh, we wanted to create a hosted solution for uh, creating, publishing, measuring, and eventually monetizing podcasts. Uh, the, I, I usually make this comparison. You know, back in the day of the internet, like in the early 90s, uh, it, it was possible and to, to create your own blog, and a lot of people did so. You had to code it in HTML, upload it using FTP, or there were other tools not that user-friendly. Uh, and then at some point, I believe it was 1999 or something like that, the first blogging, hosted blogging platforms started appearing, and that changed everything. So it was like the democratization of this publishing tool. Uh, we're trying to do the same with audio. It's a bit more challenging, uh, technically speaking, uh, but over the years, I, I think we've built a, a pretty uh, solid and successful platform that allows you to create pre-recorded or live shows, 
that also acts as an aggregator. So we have a distribution app, but we also encourage our podcasters to connect with all the, the audio distribution apps that are, are out there. And we actually want to be able to measure from a single center point what's going on with the, with the listeners. Uh, and yeah, we're also now we're in the process of uh, trying to figure out a way to uh, make advertising and a certain type of advertising that works really well with podcasts uh, to be part of this platform so that we're, we're closing the loop. Uh, it's very simple that like a content management solution for audio, spoken word audio content. Yeah, I mean, it's got, what, about 27,000 shows on there. Not all of those are podcasts per se, but it's got a lot of shows on there and there's a lot of users and a lot of activity going on with, with, with Spreaker. And it's always great to have a, a lot of platforms that are that are robust in this space. And we, we definitely have that today. And it's only getting more so. Um, and, and you know, I'm a big fan of what Spreaker's doing. Obviously, I'm working there now. And and I, I think it's, uh, they're trying to create a complete solution. I mean, Francesco, I mean, I mean, from the creation part, there, there's iOS Android apps that you can record into. You can live stream. You could even create a 24-7 stream if you wanted to, uh, if you had the right account on the platform. And, it, you know, having that ability to do a live show, just like what I do with Spreaker Live Show, into a podcast feed and not having to do any post-production if you don't need to or don't want to uh, is very powerful. There's not too many platforms that can do that. Um, and and I think that this movement towards live with what we're seeing with Periscope and what we're seeing with even what we're doing here with um, with Blab, it's 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 the engagement part that's got people excited now. It's the it's the connection with the audience that that's what podcasting is all about. And we're we're playing we're really playing to the strengths of the medium when we're doing it live. Though you're not going to build a huge audience doing that, but you're going to be able to create really cool content. I think in the long run. Um, we're also joined here by Paul Rismadel, who's the, an evangelist for Midroll Media, and he's a blogger um, at uh, radiosurvivor.com. Uh, welcome, Paul. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's a great event. Yeah, yeah it is. Great. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Francesco, have you met Paul before? No, never. I read his column, actually, but I never uh, had the chance to meet him. Hello, nice to meet you. you. <laughs> That's great. So, Paul, you're calling us from from Portland, correct? correct? Yeah, Portland, Oregon. Okay. So, do you travel all over the country, um, re representing uh, Midroll, or what's <laughs> what's your role at Midroll uh, as an evangelist? So, I really focus on sort of the B two B side. So, I work very closely with our sales team to make sure that we are very well communicating how great podcasts are for advertisers. Uh, so a lot of these points you're just talking about, the, the, the fact that uh, there's high engagement, listeners really pay attention and they really trust their favorite hosts, translates well to advertising. And so I work to try and make sure that we are communicating this as clearly as we can and to make sure that... Advertisers know about our new shows, know about the great demographics for podcasting and podcast listeners, and really understand uh, the wins that a lot of advertisers have had by advertising on podcasts. Mm -hmm. So you were recently, I'm assuming, down at uh, LA Podfest. Was that correct? No, I was actually not at LA Podfest no? this year. I was there last year. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't make it this year. Um, it, we were really kind of focused on our new uh, platform, Howl, which is our new app which is part of our premium platform for our Earwolf 
and the Wolf okay. Pop uh, podcast. And so that was really that team who went. I saw a, a blog post on your guys' site about programmatic um, advertising. And I thought it was really, really interesting that you guys are kind of planting your flag in the ground around host reads yes. and mid-roll type content, which, which, you know, the name of your company is mid-roll. So I'm sure that that's, that's done on purpose, right? That your focus is around um, the most effective placement in um, podcasts today, which is mid-roll. Yeah. Right? I mean, just, yeah, I mean, we, we sell, pre-rolls and we sell post-rolls too. Yeah, uh, sure. And we think that, you know, each of those positions has has their advantages, in fact. Uh, you know, it, depending on what your ad campaign is and, and what your objectives are as an advertiser, uh, you know, the, 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 the pre-roll spot might be the best. But yeah, we're really uh, planning our flag in the ground for those live host reads. Um, that is what's built this industry. It's what's built podcasting is those great live reads from really, really talented hosts like a Mark Marin who takes what would otherwise possibly be a boring ad for something like stamps.com and adds a lot of life and has really developed a lot of value for his advertiser for stamps.com, for instance, and for his show and for his listeners. His listeners really enjoy his ad reads. Um, and that's why we really are in support of that. And we think that there's so much more that can be done still as advertisers are just really learning about podcasting. It's just really the early days in a lot of ways, despite all the success we've had so far. And we think that it's those sorts of live reads which should bring in more advertisers in which even more industries and, mm-hmm. and more companies can actually benefit from. So that's why we're really focused on that as, as what we're selling. Gotcha. So as you look at the big picture of where, where this is going, um, though, I mean, we tend to have kind of this core group of uh, direct response advertisers that, that are in the medium today. And, and they tend to have mastered this. They, they know how to do it well. Um, they, but there's this whole other group of advertisers, right? Um, the brand advertisers that uh, we want to reach as coming out of those radio budgets. And there's a lot of money over there. Um, how do you see that we're going to walk this line uh, between kind of really brand controlled spots that have been in radio and television for many years, make this transition over to, you know, uh, host reads. Is that a transition that's going to be an easy one? Do you think Paul? Um, I actually think it is. Yes. Um, because brands are going to realize and are realizing that they're getting added value from a spot, which people don't tune out of, frankly, and whether it's literally tune out, like when they hit the scan or seek dial on their radio or just tune out mentally because they know they've heard this ad 50 times before and they don't need to pay attention to it. Every live host read should be original, should be fresh, uh, should be something new for that show. And there's a lot of value there for a brand advertiser to get. And especially as, you know, they introduce themselves to podcasters and podcasters understand the brand that they're representing. I mean, they've basically got a real spokesperson on board. And, and there's precedent for this in radio. If you think about, I mean, going back many years, Howard Stern almost, you know, in a lot of ways built Snapple as a brand you know, which was an early advertiser on his uh, New York-based, you know, terrestrial radio show with his really original and interesting live reads. And, and you know, podcast ads sort of sit in that tradition, uh, but in, in many ways have grown it and, and, and really done more creative things and I think shown it to be an incredibly, incredibly effective uh, uh, medium. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm really, really, 
excited to think about this from, from the standpoint, if we can combine those two elements, right, the host reads with dynamic insertion um, and, and really do that effectively. I, and, and as you think about the, the, the future, I mean, um, programmatic buying, there's a lot of companies running at that right now, um, hoping that they can build, build a bid model around that. But I'm, I am a little worried. I don't know about <laughs> you guys about that, right? Yeah, I would say, I mean, we're, we're paying attention. Uh, we're not worried, uh, for our own business. We're not doing ad insertion at this time and we're really focusing on those live reads. Um, what we would hate to see happen is for the value to be sucked out of podcast advertising. When they become overly commoditized, then they go down in value, you know, because what the advertisers are getting goes down in value because they're not getting a fresh live read with fresh engagement that keeps listeners tuned in and keeps them paying attention. Um, you know, and so then the cost starts to go down, right? But that's also because the return is going down. We're getting great return on on live reads for advertisers. And there's so much more we can do with that. We see that there's no reason at this moment to try and water that down by, by moving towards uh, programmatic buying. Mm-hmm. Well, sorry, can I, can I just jump in? I, sure. I think yeah, there's, there's also always going to be space for um, live reads and uh, the super curated ad type uh, going on in the future, no matter what. I mean, each single podcast is a media property, and you can decide to close the door to some media properties to the, these uh, advertisers who will do dynamic insertion and keep that... Uh, specifically for, for super engaging uh, ad types and that will change it. I, I think I, I think dynamic ads are not a threat in general if you're good at keeping high the CPMs for this super and customized experience because at the end of the day that's what most advertisers want. So I wouldn't be concerned with that. What I'm concerned uh, with today is the fact that even for these uh, direct response ads the, the bear, the for, for independent podcasters to get into this market uh, is still a bit too high. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of very good shows out there that have downloads in the tens of thousands uh, per episode that have a very hard time accessing uh, these uh, these advertisers. And and this, for instance, is something we would love to be to to solve and help solving by bundling together multiple shows and, and selling the bundle. There's some kind of technical difficulty, uh, and it comes with measuring and actually uh, certifying the measures for for this bundled together package. But I think this is a big problem today because of the so-called 50 million people that uh, are listening to podcasts today. I don't really know how many are listening to uh, the Prime podcast that are actually making money selling ads, and how many people are, are listening to the independent shows that are still struggling out there. Uh, when it comes to brand advertisers, uh, I mean, to, to what I know, to, to my knowledge, uh, I think they understand the value of the media. What they don't like today is the rich. Uh, there's too few impressions for them to uh, to buy into podcasting. I mean, frankly speaking, the overall value of the podcasting market is something that could be filled with a couple, maybe three phone calls, uh, by many advertising agencies that deal with big brands uh, today out there. We're talking about, I don't know, the numbers that are floating around are between 50 million up to $100 million. And 
this is nothing for the big brand advertisers. So I think this is a rich play. I don't think they need to be sold about the the media itself because. I no, think I, I think you're right. I mean, it, it it is partly a numbers game. As the audience grows, it certainly becomes more attractive to to larger advertisers. But we're already seeing brands like Chipotle, brands like Ford, uh, brands like Heineken uh, advertising on podcasts, you know, and taking those first steps and starting to realize uh, really great returns, you know, on on the investment that they are making with it. Hey, Paul, I wanted to ask you also, you know, recently Midroll uh, merged with the Scripps company and w- was just curious what your um, your thoughts are on that, because um, given the kind of more traditional podcast methodology that you guys are approaching versus the kind of property of a of an older media company that's merging in, wanting to adopt this stuff. Uh, and in your position as being a blogger and a, an evangelist that is talking about Radio Survivor. I mean, your blog is is in that title, right? Radio Survivor. Mm-hmm. So, how do you see that 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 blend? You know, you know, without sharing any kind of inside information about what's happening between that relationship. But what's what needs to happen in that relationship? Do you think for both companies to win? Well, it's been great. Uh, I mean, the folks at Scripps have been absolutely wonderful. And so in a lot of ways, you know, and mid-roll has been business as usual. We continue to to do the great work we've done so far. And right now, what's wonderful is we have the great support of the folks at Scripps. So, uh, you know, when it comes to even just simple things like hiring, we now have a bit more of an HR team uh, to help us with that and to allow us to, to hire more people more quickly. And, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, to even having a little bit of help with publicity and things like that. So it's been great. And I think right now, I mean, we're, we're taking it slow to see how, you know, the uh, maybe sort of what you might call more traditional uh, media side of scripts uh, will work with the podcast side here at Midroll. Uh, scripts already had been producing their own podcast called Decode DC. Um, which was uh, founded by Andrea Seabrook, who was a former NPR correspondent. Uh, so we'd already had a relationship with them because we were selling their ads. Um, so they already were really kind of having some success with podcasting, and they've had a lot of great success with online news um, and with uh, digital journalism operations. So, you know, there's a lot of these synergies here, but I think also there's a desire to see mid-roll you know, grow, uh, you know, with what we've been good at. And so it, I think part of it right now is seeing, you know, how these things work together. I think it's still a little bit open. I don't, I don't think I can, I can say much more than that, actually. Um, and, and mostly cause I, I, uh, am so focused and a lot of times focus on, on, on making sure that, uh, we are communicating well to our advertisers and our constituency. Yeah, that's great. Um, I mean, I think that the opportunity is is ripe, and there, there's other companies that are that are um, doing this as well. And I think it, you know, like Francesca was saying earlier, that the that the the radio companies are are a, a little bit uh, you know scared maybe about what they're seeing happen to their their uh, their dominance of, um, of 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 this medium and then what's happening with podcasting. So. Um, it looks like we have another guest that's going to going to join us here, Mr. Dave Slusher from the Evil Genius Chronicles podcast. I think he's coming in right now. Um, I go way back with Dave. Um, Dave was one of the earliest podcasters. I know, Dave. Wh- wh- when did you start um, doing your podcast? August twentieth, two thousand and four, when I started. Okay. So you were actually um, about two weeks before me. <laughs> I, myself, uh, 
I am. I have the same relationship to podcasting that Alan Bean has to walking on the moon. Yeah, there you go. Okay. <laughs> so number four, nobody knows who Alan Bean is. So yeah, well, so so yeah. So how many episodes have you done so far, Dave? Uh, I'm in the four hundreds. Um, okay. So there, there have been uh, you know rises and falls, peaks and valleys in my output. Um, especially around the birth of my child was a very uh, fallow period. And, and I'm kind of, kind of about the last 18 months, maybe two years, I really kind of picked up and, and uh, hit a new groove. So it's uh, almost like a new resurgence. It kind of feels all new to me again. Yeah. You know, what, what's else about that? I mean, I mean, you're a great example of somebody that started out early in this space and was very engaged in the, the, the very early days of this stuff. How do you see it different today? I mean, what's what's the change that you've seen? I'm not necessarily seeing a huge change in fundamental ways, but I don't know what you think. Um, you know, from for myself, you know, it, it, as a kind of participant, as a publisher into the space, um, it doesn't feel much different. But then, you know, I'm kind of a uh, a case study in how to like uh, squander first mover advantage and commit career suicide. <laughs> 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 you want to look at uh, if your goal was uh, traction and kind of you know building up a head of steam and kind of converting and all the kind of things that that would be reasonable for an adult you know like person who wants to make something of this project. I didn't do any of those things. Uh, I was you know way more kind of punk rock in ethos. I was really just kind of I was really what attracted to me this to this medium from day one was the fact that uh, you know I had uh, done public radio where I put stuff up on the public radio. I paid to have stuff on the public radio satellite system. So I had actually been around and I, I kind of knew how that world worked. And I thought, I can do this. And there was literally no one between me and the audience. It was like me and this RSS feed. And I can just think about it. And 15 minutes later, it is published and it's out there. And that was so, that was and is so enormously appealing to me as this kind of the ability to be kind of unfiltered and this direct uh, visceral connection to people is all I've ever really cared about. And so uh, I probably should have parlayed things into more and better things than I did. But I get so much juice from that. I, that it's really all I've ever cared about. Yeah. And. And you kind of, I think, along with uh, Mr. Adam Curry, you guys kind of pioneered the, the the concept of a solo cast, right? You guys really kind of built that that uh, you know it takes a special talent to actually, I think, do a, do a solo cast. There, there's only a a handful of people out there that, that that I think have been really successful at, at doing it. But what what do you think it takes to actually? And maybe we should explain what a solo cast is. Is is it's just you and a mic and an audience, right? I mean. Uh, you didn't do a lot of guests, right? Uh, you know, that's one of the things that I like is that, uh, you know, this medium is, is freeform enough that uh, there's room for me to do that. I do occasionally have guests. Um, you know, I, I can break format. I can do a panel show. Um, but uh, it, it can be anything it is. It is probably 90 plus percent of, of all shows I've ever done are just me sitting down and talking for anywhere from, you know, 25 minutes to an hour. Aren't you? That uh, I, mean, I mean, there are certainly everybody has tastes. Like I don't like panel shows much, and I actually kind of like to listen to uh, two people or one person. There's there's sort of a purity to that that I that I like, but uh, you know, it, it definitely it's definitely harder. Um, you have to be willing to kind of 
you have to be willing to kind of put things out there uh, in a different way when it's just you and you don't have a, a set of other people to, to bounce off. So is of. there lessons that you've learned, I mean, over the years around maybe um, doing host reads and endorsements in your show? Did you get involved in any kind of advertising? Yeah, I um, I mean, theoretically, uh, I am still sponsorable via Backbeat Media, which uh, Dave Hamilton from uh, Mac Geek Gab, uh, so he, gosh, it was the second podcast expo. So what are we talking, 2006? Mm-hmm. I've been with that company uh, that whole time. And I've had, you know, like early on, uh, you know, Hover was a guest, uh, was a sponsor. And so I've done that. And uh, I've always tried to, I always tried to make, that somehow be be uh, fun, you know. I very similar to you know the the way it is now. You know, if you listen to Pendulette or somebody like that uh, when they do their uh, reads, you know, they're they're doing as much basically as much goofing as they are, uh, you know, delivering of core brand, right? And so I tried to do that. You know, uh, you know, I was trying to do that. You know, six seven years ago. Um, I'll tell you what I have done as well or. Better, like if you sum up everything in six months of Patreon, I probably have done as well as I ever did uh, in the whole nine years of being sponsorable. You know, so I've actually found that to be kind of uh, a, a very kind of direct way to go about it. Yeah, and I, my biggest memory of you was back back when I was doing my my radio show. We'd had this exchange that happened between us. You started uh, doing playing some of our show on your show, and then we um, played some of your show on our mm-hmm. show, and we had this kind of like this little kind of podcast war going between us for uh, for a few weeks. I think it was back in two thousand five or something <laughs> like that, and and I believe you were being pretty. I mean, it was all done in fun, but it was like, it was pretty. You know, it was very pointed points that you were making about um, our thoughts on. On, um, I believe it was around me um, thinking that podcasters were going to come in and kind of ruin my my thing that I had built with my radio show. Right? Do you remember that? I do remember that. I, I honestly don't remember much of the specifics of that. I do remember. Well, I mean, that, that sort that basically came to pass, right? I mean, you were you were absolutely correct yeah. in what you were thinking about, but yeah. you were cor- you were correct in the. You were correct in the narrow scope, and you were incorrect in the big scope, which is you were you were correct in that your streaming show that you had going on uh, was going to be impacted by this, yep. and it absolutely was. Where, where you were incorrect is that's going to be to my detriment, right? It, you know, in the bigger picture, it hasn't been. I don't don't you would be a better person to say that, but it seems like it's basically probably giving you more opportunity than you had at the time. It may well, not seem like it. Back I then. stopped doing, doing my show about 2006. Um, and one of the big reasons was, is because the, the topic of the show that I was doing, and this is a relevant topic today, and it gets back to kind of niche content, um, was that I, I had like a variety show. I covered a bunch of stuff. I got like online security, browsers, um, culture, technology, I mean, all sorts of stuff. And then when podcasting started, it, it basically fragmented the audience. They become Linux shows and they become Windows shows and they become security shows and, and everybody was kind of spreading out. And I, the, the format that I had, which was more formal, formulaic for radio, uh, basically, uh, I think over time just became less relevant. And I, I, I just wound up and then, then also just a little concept that I was talking about the web and the internet. It's like kind of like uh, doing a podcast about a landline telephone. You know, everybody's doing it, right? So it's not that fascinating anymore. 
Um, but anyway, I, I thought it was an interesting um, thing. I mean, Paul, um, Francesco, do you have any questions of, uh, of Dave? <laughs> so what, what would you say is, the, is your highlight uh, since you started your podcast? Is there, is there one moment that just stands out to you like in one way or another, like either, yes, I finally made it or there was some other great thing that happened as a result? You know, it's, it's funny because you would think there have been like moments, particularly, uh, you know, so we had podcast expo, right? And so, uh, and even before that, I, you know, I went to that blogger con, uh, Palo Alto in 2004. So there's these early kind of podcast, um, events, but then, uh, I've actually found a lot more kind of like real world interaction kind of stuff in places like say dragon con or Balticon, these science fiction conventions that also have podcasting events. And so you, you go there and you get these kind of, you might think like these, these moments of like meeting celebrities or, or high profile people are kind of where that would, you know, where the real excitement would be. But I'll tell you like very recently, um, there's an event in August uh, that Craig Stepp of Technorama, he curates called the dog days of podcast. And you get together a group of people and you podcast every day for like the 30 days up until dragon con. And most everybody that's participant listens to everyone's show. And it's very much like the early days, right? You remember back in 2004, every podcaster in the world listened to every podcast published <laughs> every single day, you know, for the yeah. first month or two of that. And uh, it, it's like carving out a little subset that's like that. And there was a guy who told me he listens to exactly two podcasts. And that's the Rock and Roll Geek Show and my show. And that probably has made me as happy as anything in uh, podcasting ever has. The fact that there's somebody who listens to exactly two podcasts in the world and I'm one of those two. Yeah. You know, th- little things like that are kind of where yeah, I think that is really the, the, the yeah. where the, a lot of the joy in podcasting is that level of because people really get into it. You really get true feedback. And I've heard so many podcasters say, you know, I do lots of other things, but it's the podcast that brings in the that brings in the comments and that really gets people uh, contacting me in a way that almost even sort of for some folks, even compared to being on television. <laughs> Yeah, and, and Dave, you're an example of a, a a guy that's really been doing this really as a hobby, all right? I mean, because you, you've got a day job, right? Oh yeah, yeah. This is, you know, it's it's always been a, kind of a sidelight. Um, I, I mean, there was that stretch, like in that 2005 to 2007 stretch, where um, you know people were really kind of pushing. That was the like the uh, pod show, quit your day job era, you know, where it seemed like. Uh, seemed like maybe you were you were kind of dumb if you were involved in podcasting and you weren't trying to parlay this into a, a, a thing that would be a full-time career. And that, you know, it's, it's um, the person who, who kind of informs a lot of my thinking of this is uh, Hugh McLeod, right, of Gaping Void. And he's always uh, uh, quick to point out that, uh, you know, he did his cartoons, uh, you know, that he published for years and years. And uh, did not make any effort to, to try to make that his primary pursuit because if you've got a career and a hobby and then you make your hobby your day job, you're down one hobby and you still got a job. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's true. That, I mean, it means you got to find another hobby, right? Yeah. yeah. It, and those are hard. Those are probably harder to find than a job. <laughs> Golf is much more but, expensive too. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, there's something to be said about uh, not forcing your art uh, of whatever kind or your art or your creative thing or your sidelight, not forcing it to, to bear the weight of your whole life, right? 
it, you know, that's a lot of pressure to put on something. And when you do that, you're going to have to make decisions uh, that reflect that, right? So now it's about the conversion. And it's like, uh, what if I were to make a decision that I liked better artistically, but it might cost me listeners? I can't, I cannot do that because I have a mortgage to pay. And so th- there is a value in kind of never having that kind of pressure on yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I've, I've probably made the right decision for myself in, uh, you know, in, in always having a day job and, and making this a sideline. So we should probably mention uh, what the topic of your show really, what you focus in on. It's really a mix of, you know, what tech and culture and music, but you know, what's the, what's the mix? Well, so as I'm getting, you know, so we've, we've crossed the line where I'm, I'm clearly uh, uh, late stage middle age into a uh, young old guy. And uh, <laughs> more and more, I'm realizing that the show is really about like engineering a life. It's about engineering happiness. Whether or yeah. not whatever I say the mission statement is, that's what my show of, uh, effectively works out to be. It's about what, what decisions do you make that make you happy, that you can live with, that you can sustain over, you know, days and years, you know, and, and whatever topic I'm up. Uh, you know, you know how you don't, you know, uh, if you may, a movie director is not going to know until he's made movies for 20 years what his theme is, right? He's just going to make the project and make the project. And it's not until you look afterwards, you find out, kind of what they're what really drives their thing that's i wouldn't have been able to tell you more six months ago that's what it is but i think that's probably what my show is about it's about happiness it's about it's about life and vitality and kind of sustaining yourself i'm not sure there's too many podcasts out there like that uh, paul what, what, what do you think is that that unusual <laughs> what do you think um i mean it depends on i guess how you look at it <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I think i think there are there are definitely some of these sort of personal development kind of kind of podcasts out there or I think of a show like sort of back to work which is a lot about how to kind of sustain your work whatever it is if it's creative and stay alive although like so many podcasts gets touches on tons and tons of topics on the in between but it's definitely not one of the uh it's not like video game podcasts I think in which uh you know nothing gets but video game podcasts because there there are tons of amazing ones but uh that's like a category I feel like there's a lot of and and sort of what you're doing sounds a little less uh sounds certainly certainly outside of the the sort of the core of the Venn diagram there. Dave. Well, it's like, imagine back to work, but without all the squeamishness about hotels. That's... <laughs> <laughs> Dave, did you ever get involved in doing, a, you know, a similar situation, you know, with the back and forth between two podcasts? I mean, did you do it with any other show? Was it the only, was our show the only show you ever did that? Um, certainly there were others. There was a... You know, the way a number of people found me in the early days was because uh, Adam Curry uh, referred to me and he played snippets for me on Daily Source Tech. Yeah. So probably in the first couple of months, a, a number of my listeners would have come from Daily Source Code. And so there was, you know, there were stretches like this. I'll tell you, oh, you know what? Let me back up to a, 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 a forgotten high point. Um, I recorded a show and it was very early in the run. This would have been... I want to say 2005, and I recorded a very, very raw show uh, talking about my father's suicide and how I don't believe in God and tying all those things together. And I I recorded the thing, and then I almost stripped off the Creative Commons license because I didn't want anybody to fool with that show. And then I decided that was kind of a a, a referendum on my ethical stance. I thought, if I pull the Creative Commons license off something I care about, then what value is it ever? So I decided to leave it on. And uh, 
Madge Weinstein on Yeast Radio took my show with me kind of talking about my dad and my feelings about religion and losing faith and took that and mixed that show together with uh, Lenny Bruce and did this like mix of fading Lenny Bruce in and fading me out and like cross fading us and with this other weird, uh, you know, East radio type stuff. And uh, I still consider that probably the most flattering thing that has ever happened to me in the history of podcasting. To me, that was that, 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 that cared that much to do this show and then kind of put me in that company. And actually it was, it was very powerful listening to it. I mean, it made me, it made it a different thing. And I thought, you know, that that's kind of the example of, you know, why you might want people to uh, remix your stuff. And the fact that somebody cared enough to do it was an enormous bit of flattery. And so that was probably another uh, big highlight uh, of, of my career. But, you know, that kind of thing, I, I said, honestly, uh, it just happened more back then just because, uh, it was it was physically possible, right? There was, you know, in 2005, there were maybe 2,000 podcasts, right. you know? Yeah, that's true. That's true. There, there weren't that many. I mean, I would love to see what happened there, you know, between our, our two shows and then what you just um, told us about happened more often in the space. I'm not sure that there's that many shows that play snippets from other shows um, anymore, Though I think we're moving in, into a time where maybe audience engagement will will happen a little bit more, call-ins, that kind of stuff. Do you think that there's a place? I mean, I mean, th- this is a question I'm going to throw out to all of you. Um, do you think that there's a place for um, audio call-ins in podcasts? What do you think? I mean, I think it. I mean, it certainly depends on the show. It depends on what you, you're, you're what you're doing and whether. I mean, whether it's a call in or whether asking listeners to contribute, I think is a great way to build engagement. Um, you know, it could be you know having someone record something. I know there are shows that that use something sort of like a. Uh, you know, like a call in line, they can leave a message, you know, just with the phone. And I think that's a great way of getting, getting people involved because then they're excited to be on the podcast and they're more likely to tell their friends and more likely to tell more people that they are on. And that helps to, to build the audience, you know, a live call in, it would work in for some types of shows, but I think, you know, it, it wouldn't yeah. probably wouldn't work so well for some, you know, for others. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think you got to just think about what your audience, who your audience is, or you think they are at the very least and, and how they might benefit from that. You know, how that conversation furthers whatever your topic is and what your objective is as a podcaster. Do you think that uh, Mark Marin would benefit from a, a, a call-in type of format or not? What do you think? Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm not qualified to tell Mark Marin how to be, no, just, how to be mean, a better You can give your opinion. He's done right? pretty well on his own. But, you know, I think, you know, for a show like that, it's so built on – on the intimacy between him and his guest. And okay. I wouldn't want to get in the middle of that, right? It's not, a, it, it, in that way, it's not like a, a sort of AM drive time call-in show where, you you know, you get someone coming in and say, hey, Mark, you know, uh, first-time caller, long-time listener, and I, I really want to ask Peter Bogdanovich about this film. Uh, that would really interrupt yeah. what it is he has. So I think that's an example of a show that that's probably not best for. Yeah, and I saw in the... Twitter stream that I guess Pat Flynn, I, I guess, does a call-in type show. Uh, it's called um, Ask Pat or something. Yeah, so I mean, I guess yeah, yeah, exactly, where he, yeah. he answers a listener yeah. question. And, you know, uh, I think that that's, for Pat, it's, it's, a, it's a great, it's really consistent with his brand and who he is and, and how he helps people. And I think that it's, it's a great way for him to, to really build that engagement. And there's even, you know, we have a show called Question of the Day, which is a recently new show on Earwolf, which pulls questions from Quora. 
And then the two uh, podcasters, Stephen J. Dubner uh, from Freakonomics and uh, also uh, James Altucher, the co-host, they go and answer those questions. So it's not like a direct listener question in that way, but you know, they're really turning to sort of social media to find uh, that point of engagement. Yeah, and I know one one really kind of fascinating example of that was uh, the the radio show Car Talk. I I don't know if uh, a lot of people know, but um, all those callers for Call Talk or Car Talk um, are all pre scheduled callers. Yeah, they they were not um, people didn't call in during the show. Th- those are all pre scheduled, and and the uh, the guest actually had to submit their their question beforehand. So there is a way of doing this um, in a pre-production way. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's, for, yeah. that's a very good point. That's how a lot of uh, just syndicated uh, call-in shows do it because, you know, even if you're listening to, say, Dave Ramsey, you might hear him at 11 p.m. and someone else hears him at, at you know, 11 a.m. And, yeah, the only way that's feasible is by having those calls be scheduled. Mm-hmm. So you can do it that way. I'm not sure that many podcasters um, kind of think about that as an option here. Um, it takes a lot of coordination. You know, I've been doing, I did live radio for a long time and scheduled guests to call in a certain time. I was a little nervous about this one too. You know, anytime that you do a live show and you're trying to book guests that are supposed to come in at a certain time, I had you guys set to come in at different um, time points. And that's kind of like what I did with my with my nationally syndicated radio show that I did for a long time, was get people to call in during the commercial breaks, mm-hmm. <laughs> and sometimes they didn't call in. So then you had to come into the 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 uh, break, come out from the break, and uh, you didn't have a guest, but you just promoted them just leading into the break. That's so, why it's good to have a really yeah. good producer who yeah. who is off the mic and can make <laughs> those calls for you, Rob. So and then you. Uh, Pull out your your backup content, right? You know, I mean, you have a, a a script that you pull out, and you go, okay, well, I'm going to start talking about this topic. Your best friend on speed dial, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, guys, I think we're starting to run out of time. Yeah. So, so I think we're gonna gonna hop off here, and uh, we're we're gonna let the uh, the next guest come in here and uh, do their thing. I appreciate the 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 great conversation. I I I learned a lot, and it was great pulling the this whole team together. I've been a big fan of Dave Slusher for a long time. And I know Paul, you're a, you're an amazing guy that's doing a lot of stuff with your radio survivor um, blog. Go check that out. And, uh, and then Francesco, you've been in this space since 2004 or 2010 and uh, building a great platform with, with Spreaker. I appreciate all you guys coming in here. It's great. Thank you so much. It's been great to, to uh, meet Thank you, you uh, Dave and, and Francisco. It's, uh, it's been a great conversation. Thanks guys.